0: following is a message by professor joel kim from westminster seminary california for more information about this message or about westminster seminary please visit us online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474 that's online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474 This evening we want to spend some moments on uh First Corinthians chapter four, verses one through five. 1 Corinthians chapter four, verses one through five. Hear now the word of the Lord. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Father, tonight as we gather before your word, we ask that you open our ears so that we may hear your voice directly. Open our eyes that we may be able to behold your glory. Open our hearts, O Lord, so that we may receive and apply these things to our lives. We thank you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We live in a time that idolizes success. Many of us grew up in a culture, both Korean for me and American, that places a high value on winning and succeeding. Recently, Amy Chua wrote a book called The Battle Hymn of the Tiger Mom, arguing that Chinese parenting is superior. Everyone knows it's actually Korean parenting that's superior. (laughs) While cringing at the extreme attitude and actions of the book, many parents, particularly Asian ones, We're left wondering whether they're doing enough for their children, because I think many of us agree with her premise that academic achievement, Ivy League schools, acceptance and recognition, and prominent and well-paying jobs are all indications of success. Perhaps we agree with Garrison Keillor in dreaming of a perfect place called Lake Wolbegon, where all women are strong, all men are good-looking, and all the children are above average don't misunderstand me here i don't have anything against success but i wrestle with how our cultural norms affect our faith and the practice of faith while these standards of success may be well and good in society i wonder if such notions of success have infiltrated the way we think about our faith and the way we do church in the first place I'm left wondering about two questions for us from our text tonight, where we ask, first, what is a successful Christian leader? And second, who determines someone to be successful? The Corinthian situation is something that you all know quite well. Disunity in the church that dominates this epistle involves a number of different elements, not the least of which was choosing a leader worth following. Some followed Apollos, who seemed to represent the ideals of the time, eloquence and wisdom. Some chose Cephas for his experience. He knew the Lord, after all. But Paul? What does Paul have to offer, really? They seem to have been unimpressed with Paul's lack of eloquent wisdom, in chapter 1, verse 17, and his appearance of weakness and meekness before them, in chapter 2, verse 3. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 reminds us, through the lips of Paul, how we ought to consider ourselves when he says, This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, following chapter 3, verses 5 through 9, where he referred to himself and others as diakonos, servants, he introduces for us in this text two other metaphors, servants, often translated, and almost universally translated, stewards. Much can be said about these individual metaphors. We can say that the word servant often means an assistant or a junior officer. In classical Greek, an under rower. We can also point out that stewards usually implies managing a household, often a job done by slaves, or even an estate manager, someone who handles the money and affairs of the household. However, tonight, we want to focus on two implications, living in dependence and living under authority. Here, one of the things that Paul reminds us through these metaphors is that all of us who are in ministry are people living in dependence, for we have delegated authority. Paul and other leaders of the church have no authority on their own. Their authority was merely gifted and given to them. No doubt that they are in positions of some authority. There were no ordinary servants, but servants of Christ. And of course, they were entrusted with something so precious as the mysteries of God. Make no mistake, however, this authority they possessed was given to them. Paul was not an independent guru or an extraordinarily gifted leader, but a mere servant whose authority was delegated to him by his master, Jesus Christ. As servants, they had no right of self-determination, but they were given a task by their master. Paul speaks of one specific, one specific responsibility when he says he needs to be the steward of the mysteries of God. 1 Corinthians 2.7 reminds us, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Paul is not saying that the gospel is mysterious, but reminding the mystery and wisdom-seeking Corinthians that the real mystery is God's plan of salvation that was hidden in the ages past but was now revealed in Christ Jesus. In an age crying for wisdom, this is the revelation of God's wisdom preached by Paul, Jesus Christ, and him crucified. This is why we see him elsewhere in Colossians chapter 1 when he says, I became a minister according to the stewardship of God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery of hidden ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. The riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim. Somehow I've heard that somewhere before in terms of the books that were published recently. But not only are leaders living in dependence, they're also living under authority. There is divine accountability at work. That he possesses delegated authority grounds Paul's next point. If Paul and his fellow apostles are servants and stewards, possessing authority not of their own, two questions naturally follow. First, to whom are they accountable? And second, on what basis will they be judged? The basis for their judgment, according to Paul, is trustworthiness. As chapter 4, verse 2 reminds us, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. Now, in this sense of required, here he points out what's required is not eloquence. It's not wisdom. It's not about one's presence or strength. It's not even leadership qualities nor success. Be found trustworthy is what Paul says. And the the word rendered here trustworthy is more commonly translated faithful. It speaks of servants' faithfulness to the wishes and desires of the master and trustworthiness in his administration of the given task. The only question is this. Is he, that is Paul, worthy of the trust that has been placed in his care? I can't help at this point but think of a book written by a famous New Testament scholar named D.A. Carson, who in his book called Memoirs of an Ordinary Pastor, he talks about his own dad, his dad who toiled hard in Quebec, in Canada, but never received the kind of acclaim many of his fellow pastors during that time and after received. And when he died, he died alone. But in this memoir, he says this about his dad when he says... When he died, there were no crowds outside the hospital, no editorial comments in the papers, no announcements on television, no mention in Parliament, no attention paid by the nation. In his hospital room, there was no one by his bedside. There was only the quiet hiss of oxygen, vainly venting because he had stopped breathing and would never need it again. But on the other side, all the trumpets sounded. Dad won entrance to the only throne room that matters. Not because he was a good man or a great man. He was, after all, a most ordinary pastor. But because he was a forgiven man. And he heard the voice of him whom he longed to hear saying, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. I think he rightly summarizes the sentiment of Paul here. When people are judged on the basis of their faithfulness and trustworthiness. And the final judge? Who will decide whether one has been trustworthy? Well, he says not the church. More specifically for Paul, not the Corinthians. The Corinthians seem to have judged Paul already as someone unworthy, but that is of no concern to Paul. For that matter, he doesn't think that he should judge himself either. In a surprising statement, he concludes, In fact, I do not even judge myself, verse 3 says. Paul is not aware of anything against himself, but even if he did, it is of no consequence. Because for Paul, the church and self are, quote, two illegitimate tribunals of judgment. Paul is not trying to be flippant here, but putting things in proper perspective. Ministry is not a popularity contest or an exercise in winning friends and influencing people. Nor is ministry about self-discovery, for that matter. Feeling bad or good about our own misery may have some value, but it has no ultimate significance. Then who judges? According to verse 5, it is the Lord who judges me. What matters to Paul is what his master thinks. And the only judgment that counts is the final one delivered by the Lord Jesus Christ. The new reality in Christ has already begun, and the present-day preoccupation with human judgment is passing away, giving proper place to the judgment of God. Paul then basically leaves his success and failures to God. What the Corinthians are doing in judging the apostles is premature and, to be honest, beyond their pay grade. The day will come when the Lord will rightfully judge his servants. In making this statement, one can sense a tinge of confidence. Then each one, he says, will receive commendation from God. And the word translated here, commendation, is variously translated praise or recognition. Part of the conference stems from what he said earlier in chapter 1, verse 7, when he said, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, he said, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful, by whom you are called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The faithful God reminds us that we are his fellow workers. He is the one who who is at work in Paul and in us. And part of the confidence that Paul feels and expresses stems from his knowledge of the faithfulness of God. Unfortunately, not heeding Dr. Godfrey's teaching of a three-point sermon, here I only have two points. That the leaders, according to Paul, are living under delegated authority, living in dependence, And that ultimately, as he points out, we are under the authority of God who determines our worthiness by our trustworthiness and our faithfulness. And this is where I want to draw a brief conclusion for us who are all gathered here, serving the church and the school so faithfully. For you see, I learned a new phrase recently. The phrase is aspirational model for ministry. This is a model of ministry that seeks, desires, and yearns for success and recognition as pastors. This is a model that looks upon the ordinary, suddenly in our culture a bad word, and seeks to be extraordinary every day, all day. I have nothing against successful recognition, mind you. Excellence should be pursued in our daily lives. But no, we should know this. Christian excellence is not determined by the number of people sitting in our pews, or by a panel of judges who determine our worth before the eyes of the world. For I share the sentiment of Francis Chan, whose name I mention haltingly in this crowd, when he says, quote, Our greatest fear should not be failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. As we think about our mission as an institution, and the upcoming commencement where we have this bittersweet moment where we see these students with whom we have worked for the last three, four, sometimes even longer, depart into ministry, I hope that we are producing more than extraordinary men. I hope we're producing a few ordinary men for the kingdom of God. Men who are characterized by utter dependence on the Lord. Men who are faithful in all things. Men whose desire is for the Lord and his kingdom. Men who do not seek quantifiable evidence of accomplishment, such as titles, recognition, or size, but qualitative evidence of change in heart and desires for the Lord and the kingdom. And I also pray that our institution, with your help and prayers, will continue to major in the majors, producing a few ordinary men for Christ, his gospel, and his church. Men who are living under authority and dependent, ever more dependent, upon the Lord for strength, motivation, and the joy of service to his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, what a privilege it is for us us to gather as your sons and daughters uh, to hear from your word. What a wonderful privilege it is for many of us to be called into your kingdom service, ministers and elders serving your people in a variety of capacities. What a privilege it is for us, O Lord, for us to be sitting together, thinking through and praying over an institution like Westminster and desiring that your will be done among us. Lord, we thank you for using weak and unwise vessels like ourselves for your glory, and we ask that you will strengthen us, grant to us the wisdom that we desire and need, pray for strength and diligence in all that we do, so that through our churches, our families, and through this small institution, we may bring honor and glory to your name. We thank you for these men and women who are here, who are serving you so faithfully. We pray for your strength and your guidance to be upon them as they uh, uh, work through and think upon many issues that are before them. We thank you for this time and pray this in Jesus' name. Copyright 2012, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.